All right. Well, Chantal, greets her oldest friends from South Africa. You notice our accents. Chantal, um, my wife of 32 years, is from South Africa, and I'm from Germany. We've been missionaries for the last 30 years, I would say, and right now we're missionaries in North America. We work at the General Conference. Chantal is an associate director for the wider state. I'm an associate editor of Adventist Review, the oldest thing in Adventism and Adventist World. Some of you may get, I mean, most of you should actually get Adventist World. All right, Chantal, this, this, just for the recording, and yeah. we need this to... session one. ...of Recharge, Finding Your Safe Place, and our names we already mentioned, Chantal Klingbal and Gerald Klingbal, and the first session is called The Root of Restlessness. So we'll start right at the beginning. Shall we begin with a prayer? Yes, that would be good. Our great Heavenly Father, what a privilege to be together this morning as we explore your word, as we look into issues that touch us personally. Please be with us and open our minds, open our hearts, give us insight, give us connection. Mm. For we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how you feel, but I feel that I'm living in a 24-7 on mode, you know, I see most of you sitting when I came into the meeting room this morning on your phones. I'm on my phone a lot, you know, checking messages, trying to reach out to someone. We constantly seem to be engaged, Chantal, and it's, it's not always healthy, it seems to be. Um, in fact, most scholars tell us that this is really tiring, exhausting emotionally and also physically. You would think that with us being so connected, I mean, yeah, let's just, how many of you have 20 friends online? How many of you have 20 friends online? Okay, good. Who has more than 20 friends? Okay. Those of you, I'm saying 20, who has 10 friends online? No? Okay, the rest are just too shy. Most <laughs> of us have a lot of contacts, right? We have a lot of contacts. So you would think we would be more connected than ever. And we should be less lonely because we have a lot of people that we, we know. And we share online, with all the time. That we connect with online and yet, and yet we are more lonely than what we've ever been before even with all of this connectedness. And a lot of us make up for it by busyness. And we try to connect with people. We're always busy with something to try to make up for the loneliness, really. We're looking for that connectedness. Now, the research that we have read, and my specialty is not in psychology or social studies. I'm an Old Testament scholar. So if you have a question about the Hebrew text of the Bible come to me. But research has shown that loneliness affects basically all people. I, 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 was, I was surprised by the numbers that I found. UK, 20% of, of the population, and that was a huge survey that they did, said they felt lonely most of the times or often. 20%. In the United States, that number varied depending on survey between 20 and 65%, especially for people older than 50. Now, that's not many people in this room. Wonderful. 
uh, I guess it's just you and me, Chantal. Yeah. But one or two others. But there are others, other numbers too, right? Yeah. You think, okay, so loneliness, you think of old people being stuck at home, their family moved away, you think, okay, they'd be lonely. But it, it affects young, younger generations and younger demographics as well. Uh, a UK census, one of the most recent, says that loneliness is the number one fear of young people. Mm. When they asked, what are you most afraid of? They say, being lonely is number one. It even ranks ahead of losing a job or finding a job or losing your house. You would rather lose your house than be lonely. So I think loneliness, let me just move this out of the way here. And no, I just turned off the Wi-Fi. It was to connect all the time. Okay. That works better. So it is very destructive. It's something that affects us. It affects how we feel about ourselves. And in fact, it can be deathly. There's a lot of people that because of loneliness die. There's, uh, there's a loss of connection that happens that makes us sick. And, you know, we don't want to talk about bad things, but it is something that affects all of us. Well, maybe you think, well, extroverts are probably less lonely, right? Because at least it seems like it, that they're always having a good time, making a big noise in the center of things. So, Chantal, you would be much healthier then. I'm supposed to be less lonely, right? Yes. According to the statistics, no. Actually, the statistics tell us, and the surveys tell us, a different story. It doesn't matter whether you're a real extrovert or real introvert, the rates of loneliness is about the same, even though it seems to mask more with, with an extrovert. We're all touched negatively by loneliness. Well, let's, let's look at some of the numbers and the real-life impact of loneliness. There's the first one here. Loneliness on our health is just devastating. Equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, reducing a life expectancy by about eight years. That's just by being alone, of having a sense of being disconnected. Your, the mortality rates for lonely people are significantly higher than people that are connected. Well, there's an increased risk of cancer. Let me just, I think I have, always have to turn towards this so that it works. Um, and there's also... If you're lonely, you catch COVID much quicker. <laughs> or a virus, a viral infection, you open yourself up to, to disease more. Mm -hmm. There's also a link between loneliness and cardiovascular diseases. So heart attacks, uh, anything in that field as well, if you are more lonely. Chantal, I think we need to start right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the beginning for Christians is... Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, the creation story, where God describes how he, what, you know, the Bible describes how God created the world. And one of the key takeaways that I'm taking, I don't understand it all. I, maybe you do. I don't understand it all. It doesn't, you know, I can't all scientifically explain it. But what I can get there very clearly is that God creates us for community. Because Adam is alone. And he, he 
expresses that and God makes Eve at that moment. Well, it's a great, it's a great beginning, but very quickly, of course, just we recapping, we have sin enter. And sin does a lot of things, but one of the things sin does is interrupt community right then in the beginning. We have doubt, we have distrust, uh, we have rebellion coming in, we have separation. Adam and Eve are separated from God. And then remember when God, you know, confronts them, then we see that they were so tight beforehand. Mm. Adam thought he couldn't live without Eve. That's why he actually ate the fruit. But suddenly they are not so tight anymore, and they're accusing each other. So it brings separation from one another. And this, and this separation really affects not just God and men, or mankind, humanity, mm -hmm. but it affects the relationships, how we deal with one another. Selfishness enters into the world, greed, abuse. Mm -hmm. And you read some of those stories in, in the book of Genesis. There is all of this you can find there. We'll be talking a little bit more about that in another and seminar. We've just become self-centered mm -hmm. and hurtful and abusive ourselves. Mm -hmm. And even if we don't like it, if we look in the mirror, that's really us, especially the mirror of God's Word. And sin and the separation from God is one of the root causes of loneliness. What I really like about those first chapters, especially now we're moving towards chapter 3, chapter 4 of Genesis, is that God doesn't leave Adam and Eve there. He asks them a question. That's always a great beginning of a conversation. We'll ask a couple of questions also today here. Um, and the question is, where are you? It's really not a question about location and geography. It's a question about, I miss you. Come, come back to me. I love you. And that's, of course, not just an Old Testament theme. Jesus spends a, a long time, or a lot of his time, talking about this same theme, and he tells stories. And I'm sure you remember that really well-known parable in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, remember? Mm -hmm. The young man that takes the inheritance, goes off, spends it all. But the point that maybe it's not as startling for us, but the point that was absolutely a wow for Jesus' audience was the last section where you have the father. Remember? The father stands there and he waits and waits and waits and then he sees the prodigal son coming back at a distance, all stinky and worn out and he's coming towards him and then the father does something that is totally radical for the culture of the day. Because he's men not. don't run. Only boys run. Especially not old men. And when you become older, then you definitely take everything calmly and sedately. But this old father in the story Jesus tells, he absolutely, I guess he picks up his, his robe and he runs down the road, the road to grab that stinky son of his. That reconnecting again. I, I love this scene when, when, we, when we look at the story that Jesus tells, I think all his, you know, the audience could say, well, he's finally home. Wonderful, incredible, unthinkable, totally countercultural at that moment. He's forgiven. It's always God taking the first step, isn't it? Have you noticed that in your own life? Maybe John chapter 6 verse 44 tells us that unless the Father draws us, we can't come to him. It's not that you say, well, I want to be a Christian now. I want to follow Jesus. 
even that desire God has already put into you, into your heart. And he's drawing us through the Spirit. Beginning in Eden, God really has always been searching for us. And I'm including myself because I'm a wayward child too. Okay, now I'm looking at all of you and you all look great this morning. You all look awake, but we want to keep it that way. And so we're going to involve you now. We're going to ask you a question and we would love you to discuss it with the people around you. So form a little group. I don't know if you want to turn around, but nobody alone. Remember, we're talking community, and we don't want anybody alone. So please, make yourself a little pod somewhere. And here's the question. By the way, there's no false Yeah, there's no right or wrong. Right or wrong answers here. So find yourself maybe some friends that you're sitting with, make new friends, and we'll take a minute or so to discuss this question. The question is, we need a definition of rest. Okay, maybe we give them a moment to introduce themselves, because that's probably what you're doing. Okay, so first introduce yourselves. Go for it. All right, I I think we're ready for the question. I mean, you see it here already. All right, let me read it to you. Formulate a definition of rest. Rest is dot, dot, dot. Just very quickly, it's a very basic question, isn't it? Rest is. Now, we'll give you a minute to talk to one another. Rest is. Some volunteer. What what did you think? How did you define rest? Anybody? Yes. Taking a break from the things that drain you. Okay, so that's already, you know, it's kind of a positive counterbalance to something. Yes, they're in the back. Speak loud. It's a condition that will help us stop to answer to obligation or to do things that we need to do. Is that more or less what you said? Okay. Good. That sounds pretty enticing. All right. Let's go to the Old Testament. Remember, we want to look from it from a biblical perspective. We're going to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think we'll discover something that's very important also for our yeah. seminar. Remember Bless your definitions and see if they expand when we look at the Old and the New Testament. Okay, there's four Hebrew words. These represent really, I, I don't know if you can see them, it's, the color is not too good. Um, it looks too, a little bit too soft here. Shabbat, Noach, Shakat, Raga, and Shaks. It's five, actually. Hebrew words. And there are more These are words that are translated in your New King James Version or NIV or whatever version with rest. So let's look a little bit at um, what they... The first one that we, I think, all know is Shabbat. God is resting on the seventh day in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. The verb that's used there, Shabbat, the verb to, to rest, to work to rest. But that you could translate as ceasing to work. I think that one we know, but I like this one. To take a holiday. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? To take a holiday. It's also used in Exodus chapter 5, verse 5. Now there it's used to cause someone to rest. And that's Pharaoh talking to Moses and Aaron. And he says, making these people lazy. You caused them to rest. So we're okay. going to give them more work. T- okay. Exodus chapter 5 is to cause somebody to, to 
Although this is not the typical restful way, this is something to get lazy. That's what Pharaoh really meant. The next one that we want to look at is Nuak. That's the second one here, Nuak. Uh, this one appears in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10. That's, or in verse 11, sorry. That's remember the Sabbath day and so on. It is translated with rest. Sometimes it's translated with settled, to be settled into something. And it's often connected also to physical things. For example, in Numbers, the book of Numbers 10, verse 36, it's referencing how the Ark of the Covenant is settling in a specific place. All right, Chantal, you're still quiet, correct? All right, so let me go to the next one. Another, another important verb is shakat. That means to be at rest, to be quiet. Maybe that's a new nuance of, of rest, of that verbal connection. And I think you mentioned it here in your definition here. It's used in Joshua chapter 11, 20, 23, when God says, well, I will give you rest in the land. After I, after I conquer the land, you will have rest or find rest in the land. So it's peace. It's an equivalent to being living in a, in a peaceful condition. Next verb is raga, and this develops more into a lecture than into a seminar, but apologies for that. Um, it's also used to indicate rest, but it's, more, it's very interesting. It appears in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 65. This verse is a war against disobedience, where God tells Israel that they will not find rest when they disobey him. Now, that's interesting. So... Obeying God's law leads to finding rest. That's, that's a new assembly. The last one that we have, shakab, is the word that we don't really use. But in the Old Testament, that's a very important language, the language of death. Overwhelmed. They were too busy with God's work to really do, and I think echoing what you said here, looking not after their own health, their own well-being, emotional and and maybe Jesus, knowing us, he knows, you know, that we need this balance. Yeah. We need this connection. On, a, on an aside, while you go to the next slide, this one, this really spoke to me. I don't know about your lifestyle, but I often find myself eating and doing something else at the same time. Mm. Do you do that? Yeah. And that is probably something we want to rethink. Because eating is supposed to be a time of community and a time to recharge for ourselves. Okay. Well, actually, I'm very grateful. We have three young adult daughters, and when they're home, they tell us, let's eat together, which is nice. You know, usually, I it think... It forces you to stop and pay some attention to All right. the people around you. Have you seen these trees? Do you know what these trees are? Birch? No, it's not birch. It's not poplars. Maybe it's a different name for it, but that's not... These are aspen. Aspen, anybody? Okay, Chantal, tell us about aspens. So, aspens are beautiful trees. They grow real tall, 45 to 90 feet, 15 to 30 meters, if you're into that. They love cold climates. They grow uh, across the northern part of North America, Europe, Asia, even in some parts of Africa. What makes them interesting, and I saw them in the park the other day, is they tremble 
They, they quiver like this, and the leaves just quiver. It looks, looks really cool. Now, the, the wood is used in furniture. So it's sometimes used to, do, to make matches or paper. F animals often feed on them during winter. When it's a tough winter, they eat some of the bark because it's apparently very nutritious. Obviously, you're not here for a biology lecture, <laughs> and I'm not a biologist. But what really intrigued me when now we... This Really when blew we, my mind. When, when we recognized this is that the most notorious facts about Aspen is that they have the largest, one of the largest root system on this planet. Largest and root big. system on this planet. Hundreds of miles underneath they can be. Mm -hmm. One seedling is really the father, mother, whatever you want to call this, the origin of a whole forest. And that forest extends Underneath, you can cut down a tree. These trees go up to 100, 150 years, so they can get mm -hmm. old. But those root systems underneath, they, they are a thousand, several thousand years old. Mm -hmm. No, so that's important. That's really important, and, and it's really actually cool. So what you, you're actually looking at, I don't know, the biologist might, might take issue with that, but you're looking at one tree when you see a forest of trees. And so you can keep, lobbing off those trees, and they will keep growing. So, obviously, this is an illustration. We want to look at the roots of mm -hmm. restlessness. We want to understand what are the key issues that keep us from following Jesus into to finding this rest that we long for, mm -hmm. that I long for. The, the safe place. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get everybody talking again. This time, we're going to ask you to identify... Three root causes of restlessness. Okay. Okay, these are two stories, well-known stories. You don't have to read them. You can all scan together. through it. Just if somebody scan. knows it well, they can just repeat it to the group. But have a look at those stories and see if you can find three root causes of restlessness. So the first one is Luke 12, 13 to 21, and the second one is Luke 22, 14 to 30. These are the, the two stories that Jesus tells. All right, we'll take a minute or two. All right, any ideas? We, we're looking at our time. Any idea? No, it would be ideal to have four more minutes. Yeah. Any ideas of three root causes that Jesus seems to tell us about in this story? Or stories. Or story, <laughs> the two stories. Sorry, I mean, it's two different sections. All right, they're a little shy now. Well, that didn't, we didn't give them enough time no, to read didn't. the stories we properly. Did. I we know, didn't. I know. It was an unfair assignment. Some people are brave enough. Yes. Worry. Worry. Okay. And I saw your hand. Yes. Ah. The quest for riches. Maybe another word, selfishness. You know, we want to really... Greed and pride. Wonderful. Discontentment. Ah. Yeah. That's These are all good synonyms of... Yeah. Very excellent. good. Yes. One... Perfect. Wanting to be the number one. You know, I, does everybody what, see me? What is it? What is it? Goat, you know? right? Okay, Greatest Jenny. of all times, right? Let's start with there the first are. one that, that we identified, and I think we all identified, selfishness. Mm. In the parable, we definitely have this, the first, we have this um, anonymous question com coming from the audience. O often, you, you hear more with the question and answer session sometimes then even the, the main part. And this definitely comes out. We, we listen carefully at this question and answer session of Jesus. 
And Jesus, I think, puts his finger right by telling the story right where it hurts. And he puts his, you know, points to the underlying problem. And the underlying problem in most or in many of, of what we experience is selfishness. Mm -hmm. That's what unfortunately happened in Genesis chapter 3. And that's affecting us and the world all around us. Mm -hmm. Selfishness. Jesus digs deeper to show the root mess underneath the individual action. And then, of course, tied into that, we have uh, this anonymous rich man that keeps wanting to be bigger, bigger, better, as you, as you said. Bigger, bigger, better, no contentment for, for where he is right then. If you, if you remember what, how Paul describes the the motivation that drove Jesus to come to earth. The famous text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. Mm -hmm. May the same spirit or the spirit of Jesus that drove him to come here. And that's exactly the opposite of mm -hmm. what we find in this story because that's the blueprint for unselfishness, for humility, and for love. Mm -hmm. Love for God and love for others needs to be our bottom line. And it's not always a fuzzy feeling. It's, it's costly. And we know the story, why, how, you know, with Jesus hanging on the cross, we see the cost of, of that love. So mm -hmm. it also is costly to us. Let's go to number two. Some, what was number one again? Selfishness. 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 Okay, sorry. Put, a, put this up there here. Number we go. two. Ambition. Now, now, we don't normally discuss, I, I don't know, maybe you haven't heard it. Well, I haven't heard somebody say, you know, I think I'm the most important person in this youth group. Have you heard it? I, I, people, I don't think we do it quite like that, but it, underline, this is a real big one. This ambition. We, we find that this question was something that Jesus' disciples, they wrestled with it a lot. Several times. In Who, who's the greatest in the mm -hmm. kingdom? And... And in order to answer the question, he said, well, he takes a little child, he puts, stands him in the middle and says, you know, and he says to them in chap um, Matthew chapter 18, unless you become a child like this, I tell you, assuredly, I tell you, unless you are converted and become a, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a strong statement. So ambition is something that draws us away from God and that gives us not this rest that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Definitely, this, uh, this need to put aside what are others thinking of me? Mm. Are they treating me right? Are they being respectful enough of me? Do they value me? And pushing that aside into what does Jesus think of me? Mm. How's my relationship with Jesus right now? This little child trusts walking, enjoying the company of Jesus is very different from the simmering ambition. The second story that we asked you to look at, this was the Last Supper, readers. really. Mm. The disciples hadn't even learned that lesson yet after three and a half years. And we heard a little bit in the sermons about this, about this disappointing teacher, you know, after three and a half years, somehow Jesus himself didn't reach the hearts I of I think his they, disciples. it was the disappointing students. That's right. <laughs> Okay, now the big one, the big one. I mean, these selfishness, ambition are big, but the biggest one is hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Mm. Okay, none of us, I think, hands up for all those who adore hypocrites. 
Okay, I knew the answer. I mean, we all say we don't like a hypocrite. We don't like someone who play X and who wants to appear to be someone they're not. Interesting, Jesus uses the same term. You know, in, in Greek, it sounds like a hypocrite in, in, in English. He uses that seven times in chapter 23 of Matthew. If you can't remember what's in that, in that chapter, it's when he speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. The very religious people. And he calls them, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. Seven times. I mean, that's, he makes a point there. Mm. What, what are the characteristics of a hypocrite? I think those we need to touch on, definitely. Um, shall we ask, do we have the time? Maybe we'll jump over that one because I think time yeah, is... The time. Okay. The we will just plow right into it. You know, it's interesting that Jesus has a lot of time for prostitutes, for publicans, publicans, for tax collectors, for people that we would be very hesitant to mix with. But the people that Jesus is, I wouldn't say the harshest with, but that he's really speaks harshly to other hypocrites. Mm. That, that, that kind of sets a note. I, I think we need to understand a little bit the two, the two spectrums, if you want to say that, the two directions in Judaism at the time mm -hmm. of Jesus. There were the Pharisees. You would call them the people that go to GYC. Conservative people. And I'm not saying that this is the Pharisees here, but <laughs> conservative people, they love the law. They wanted to they were sincere about it. the requirements of the law. And on the other side were the Sadducees, the liberals. They were thinking and acting as if they were Greek. They preferred Greek thinking, Greek language. They, they didn't believe in the afterlife. You remember that story? They didn't believe in the resurrection. This is, this is here the two sides. Where is Jesus on the spectrum? What do you think? Where is Jesus on this spectrum? Could it be that Jesus is right in the center? In the center, he is not with the Pharisees. And if you read chapter 23, he, he mentions them by name. He is not with the Sadducees. He really gives it to them when they try to trick him. Yeah, he stands squarely on God's word. But there's somewhere in the middle. So taking comfort in maybe even a theological persuasion, mm. may not protect us from hypocrisy. Mm. According to Jesus, we are hypocrites, here we go, if we don't do what we say. Mm. Number one. Number two, we're hypocrites if we make religion harder for others mm. without applying it to ourselves. Mm. Number three, when we want others to applaud our religious fervor where we want to look good spiritually. We are a hypocrite because our goodness doesn't come from us. It's only Jesus' righteousness. So as soon as we want others to think I'm a good person, we are wearing a hip hypocritical cloak. And whenever we require honor and recognition that belongs to God, we are being hypocrites. Now, our family, we spent 15 years in... Yes, please. Oh, those, those four, yeah, we're going to repeat them. Shani, why don't you All right. repeat them? Hypocrites, if we don't do what we say, mm -hmm. when we make religion harder for others, 
without applying it to ourselves. When we want others to applaud our religious fervor. When we require honor or recognition for things that belong only to God. Very, I think that drives home, that comes home to me as well. And those aren't things that you see easily by no. someone else. Those are real hard things where we have to take the time to look in. So as a family, we spent 15 years as missionaries. I mean, I told you we're still missionaries here in North America. But outside of North America, we were in South America and Asia. And we had two of our girls were born in Peru, and one of our girls was born in Argentina. So we have a very international collection of passports in our families as well. I remember when we were invited to move from Argentina to the Philippines. And our, one of our daughters, I'm not mentioning the name because I don't want to get in trouble with her. She was very young at that time, and we knew she really loved where we were. She had a she little had friends. A friends and, and she was, you know, four or five years of age. And she loved the little house that we lived in, and she loved the Sabbath school. So I found the right moment, what I thought, and I, I said to her, we're going to move. Try to explain that, and I remember looking into her eyes. You know what? What sort of reaction would would flicker across her eyes? And there was this like bewilderment. You could just read, you know, with all the little little motors going. What does that mean? And then suddenly, this just this glow came, and I was like, "Wow, this is going better than I expected." And she was practically beaming, and she said to me, "Are we going to see Jesus?" And I was just like. No, no, we're not going to heaven. I mean, Philippines is cool, but it's not heaven. Um, but that reaction, it really helped us bridge mm. what would have been a very difficult transition over there. And it, it makes me think a little bit about how we can uproot, uproot this restlessness and these causes that we've spoken of. Okay, here, here are a couple of practical ones that we want to leave with you at the end of our first seminar. Second, we will move on. This will not be a repetition. We'll, we'll move on here. The first one, let me move this forward here, is we recognize our, rec uh, our restlessness and loneliness and acknowledge that we need help. Mm -hmm. is that, that's the first step, isn't it? If you have heard anything about alcoholism, you know that the first step to become dry is to say, I am an alcoholic. And this first step to conversion we heard this morning about is, I am a sinner, right? So the first step here to recognize our restlessness and loneliness and say, Lord, that's me. That's my condition. I need something different. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for something different. And then... Second practical takeaway, we will need to form connections. Now, this one is really, really hard because when you're feeling lonely and when you're tipping towards a depression, you want to curl up in your bed and you don't want to form connections. It just goes against everything in your brain. But this is a first step towards healing reaching out to form connections. And the first connection we have to form and reform mm -hmm. is with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because without that, 
we are not going to be able to uproot this deep restlessness. And it's not a one-off thing. Restlessness keeps coming. I'll just make a confession. Mm -hmm. As we were preparing these seminars again, we were like, oh, well, yeah, we're pretty restless. At this moment in our lives, it's time for a spring cleaning again. So it's not a one-time forever. Mm. The third one here is we need to break thought patterns, negative thought patterns that that have been built up in our minds. And that's a difficult, tough, a tough job, I think. And that's the job where the Holy Spirit will work with us. But it's also a conscious decision that we need to make to break these negative thought patterns and cognitive routes because they, they are destructive. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, sometimes we may need to see somebody who's specializing in that. Here's a difficult task. For maybe for some of you, it may not be. For me, it's super difficult. Someone suggested that I try it. So go for it. Try this. Next time you wash your hands, especially if there's no one around, in, 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 your, in your restroom, look into the mirror and say, you are loved. Mm. Try that. It's pretty tough. Don't look at your skewed nose or your big ears, or any other part of you that you don't that particularly somebody appreciate. somebody tells you that you're not perfect. We all get this. Look into that and say, you are loved, because God loved you enough to die for you. Mm. So, I mean, what can we say? This is one of the negative thought patterns, just on the side. Mm -hmm. People, me they've measured almost 80% of people, when they look into the mirror, they continually say negative things to themselves in their mind. Maybe you're one of them. Not positivity. This is part of these negative thought trains that we have to break. Well, Chantal, there's one more I think mm -hmm. that we want to leave with you. Absolutely. And that's serving others. And that's what we talk about also in this conference. Mm -hmm. The doing. And the doing is not we get busy. I think that's not what we talk about. I think it's we forget maybe a little bit ourselves, the selfishness part, and we move to serve others. Mm -hmm. This is not a running away or trying to find our value mm -hmm. in enough activity. This is I am loved, so I want to love. Mm -hmm. That's the motivation. And it may not look different from the outside, but it sure feels different from the inside. We'd like to leave this question with you, and that's a, it's really a, a private question. It's not something to discuss. Um, imagine the first moment you can spend one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus in heaven. Just imagine for a moment. You know, this is the moment that you waited for. What will be your first question? What will you tell him? What will be your first question? Because I have questions. What will you tell him? And with that, we'll leave you with that thought, with that maybe thinking about it, and we end with a word of prayer. Because I think our time is up. Heavenly Father, we thank you in a special way that you know our restlessness. You understand when we don't even look, want to see us in, in the mirror when we're lonely, when we feel discouraged, when we know that our selfishness is what separates us from you. But you invite us to overcome and to move towards you, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the Father who's running towards his Son, 
We thank you for the father who asked the question, where are you, Adam? And we thank you that you're still on the lookout for, for me and for Chantal and for all of us sitting in this room. Please find us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This message was recorded in partnership with Audioverse at the GYC conference Break Forth in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.